Hey, everybody, this is Dr. V, and the episode that you're getting ready to listen to was supposed to be just one episode, um, but I started talking with uh, my newfound friend, Dr. Shayla Netty, um, and she shares um, her story of just her journey of how she has become an internal medicine physician, um, obesity medicine, lifestyle medicine physician, um, but her personal story was just so compelling that I couldn't move on. So this is part one, and it's it's a doctor's story, a physician's story um, on dealing with, um, I guess, a medical issue that changed her life. And uh, part two is going to be um, her helping us um, understand the benefits of a plant-based diet, and how to make it easier to implement into our lives. So I hope you enjoy it. Hey, 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 it's Dr. V, and welcome back to another episode of Office Visits with Dr. V. I am your lovely, reputable, I can't think of any other words right now, but I'm your host, Dr. V, Benita Bernardo, board-certified OBGYN and board-certified lifestyle medicine physician. And the whole goal of our show is to help you to be happy and to be healthy. And y'all know I'm only bringing on people who are reputable and who are speaking facts in love, in love, and who are willing to share their story. And so... Um, this next guest, oh my God, we are like lifestyle medicine, wellness, kindred sisters. Like we are on the journey together and it's crazy because we're starting out almost at the same time. So y'all, when I met her, we talked, what was it? Four hours. I think it was four hours. <laughs> we went to lunch at like 12 and the people were like, uh, it's three o'clock. And it's time to close. And we left. And then we sat in the car and talked another like 45 minutes to an hour. So y'all yep. are going to really enjoy this. Without further ado, we have Dr. Shayla Netty. She is a family practice physician. And she is also a lifestyle medicine physician. Welcome, yeah, Dr. Shayla. Hey, glad to be here, Dr. V. Thank you for having me. <laughs> That's right. We're sisters. Yes. <laughs> it's official. She already has her lifestyle medicine up and running, and we'll get it. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. But I'm, y'all know, I'm just getting started. Um, but she has an amazing story, not only about lifestyle medicine and being a family practice physician, but in her personal life. So I'm just gonna hand the mic over to her and Dr. Shayla. If you would just introduce yourself to my listeners and and give us that backstory, that good, good, like life-changing, like pivotal. Okay, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Yes, so I'm Shayla Netty, Dr. Shayla Netty. Um, I, uh, I am a physician and um, board certified in obesity medicine and internal medicine. Um, and I, my story, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of places I could start, but I think where I want to start without it being too long <laughs> of an answer would be um, why I got into medicine. Um, a big part of it for me was I wanted to see people that looked like me um, be a doctor. And I knew that if I went into a room and people saw me, it's like, wow, this 
black woman, honestly, they would feel a little bit more comfortable. And also just me, where, where I grew up and how I grew up, I, I didn't see that. I didn't see someone who looked like me being a doctor, um, at least in my community. And my mom was a big part of that and that she encouraged me to do whatever I wanted. And really it was books that got me into medicine. It wasn't that there was someone in my family who was a doctor. It was that I read a book and the main character was a surgeon. And I, from that, I went, oh, maybe I could be a surgeon. It, it was just that simple. Oh, yeah. And I was making Remember the mom. book? I, oh, oh book. goodness. You know what's so funny? I used to remember the title. The author's name is Robin Cook. They, he does, I can't remember if it's a woman or, or a man, but they do a medical thriller. So it wasn't even a, a nonfiction, a fictional novel. Yeah. Back then I loved reading. I mean, I still love reading now, but I was like, when anytime someone saw me, my face is in a book. And my mom brought home that book. And I was like, and actually the type of surgeon was a cardiothoracic surgeon. Whoa. So I looked at that and I was like, oh, that sounds like something I could do. And I, this is pre-Google. This is like Yahoo days. My, I asked my aunt to look it up for me. And she came back with like 20 pages of all the different steps I had to take, all the education, college, residency, all the surgical training. I took a look over it. I read it. I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. It was, it was that Bradley. straightforward to me. Okay. Okay. Well, and how old were you then? I was 17. I was oh, 17. God. Yeah. I was about to apply to college. And at, before then, I thought, I was like, oh, I'll do um, engineering. Um, I was planning on going to Georgia Tech because I'm from Georgia. And then I read that book. I said, oh, never mind. I'm going to do math. It was just, it was so black and white to me. You know, I'm a kid. My mind it was, I always knew I was going to go to college. That was my number one goal. Get to college to get there right. on a scholarship. Um, yeah. And then from there, I was like, all right, I'm going to do medicine. And then once I got to college, I realized, oh, it's not that easy. <laughs> it's not that That's simple. That's what I tell everybody. Look, y'all, they are not giving these degrees away. Like this ain't mm-hmm. like Instagram, TikTok. You put a little reel up and you get yep. your degree. It's yep. work for it and earn it. So, yep. so congratulations. So <laughs> you came, you were going to be a surgeon. Um, <laughs> So tell us, like, what, how did you get here? How did you get to be an internal medicine physician? And then, and we'll talk about obesity medicine because that's a specialty that's popping up. And I think, I think people need to know exactly what it is. Um, Right. But keep going. Tell us your story. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. Perfect. Perfect. So, um, so yeah, get to college or the pre-med track, meet a lot of, make a lot of good friends. And on that journey, realized okay, this is going to take a lot. I got to take the MCAT. I got to study. I got to take OCHEM. That was like the bane of my existence. And organic chemistry. Sorry, that's right. I forget <laughs> organic chemistry. I still remember those days. And um, I want to say it was my senior year of college. And I had like, now I realize it was a burnout moment. Even back then, I was 20, I was almost 22. I had been so focused, like singularly focused on getting this goal. And I said to myself, I don't know if I actually want this, like, because if I go down this road, it's going to be years and years of more training. And I've already done all this schooling up until this point. Is this something I really want to make a commitment to? And so I was able to take a year off where I spent time with my family, with my, my father in New York. I did some, just some, uh, you know, some jobs here and there just to kind of take a break from education and to really see what was it that I was, that I wanted to do. I don't tell many people that story because most people think that's what straight into medicine, but I actually thought about becoming an artist because art was a big, a big passion of mine. And it still is a big passion of mine, like the creative arts. Um, and I, I kind of balanced those two things. I made a list 
um, going back to the black and white way that I think about life, at least back then, I made a list and I was like, you know what? I do want to do medicine. I do want to be a doctor. And so I decided to apply. Um, I already had all my recommendations. I had already did all my necessary classes. It was just, did I want to take that step? And mm-hmm. so on the on the journey of applying to medical school, I actually applied to Morehouse School of Medicine. I think it was my third interview. And like instantly I fell in love. Like I met people, I actually met people there who I had known from uh, my high school. And I was like, wait, you're here? And like, yeah, you should come here. It's amazing. Like the 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 culture, the the family atmosphere, the it was so obvious the it was just a spirit on the campus of like people caring for one another and caring for the people that they wanted to take care of. It touched me so much that listen to this, Dr. V, I canceled the rest of my interviews. Yes, that's a big no, no. I don't know what I was thinking, but I I said to myself, I don't want to go anywhere unless it's this place. That's how much it impacted me. So, you know, I talk a lot about purpose, gifts, destiny. And it's like you felt it, like, fuck while you kind of questioned, but you stepped out on faith. And then it sounds like you found the perfect place for you to nurture you uh, that wouldn't run you off. Yes. Because once you get into it, some of them, it feels like uh, people are trying to weed you out and not keep you there. So, okay. So... Thank you, Morehouse uh, School of Medicine. We appreciate you for <laughs> creating this wonderful or helping um, to create this wonderful doctor. Um, keep, keep going. Tell us, get to your story, your personal story. Right, right. That probably also informed your, your medical career as well. Yeah, yeah. So fast forward a bit, finish medical school, finish my residency training. Um, I was at the high of life. Um, my husband, I actually met my husband at Morehouse. So I owe Morehouse for that too. Um, we were um, <laughs> we were actually planning to move back to Atlanta and um, both start in our you know respective fields. Um, I was actually on the interview trail. Uh, and um, at the time I knew I was pregnant and we had our 18 week ultrasound, which, you know, is just typical, you know, Dr. V. <laughs> I forget, you know, and so you're talking I, to the listeners as well. So I know, yeah, I know. Storm, you're, it's fine. You're right, you're right. So I had my typical 18 week ultrasound, and um, I remember, I remember the visit like it was yesterday. Everything seemed to go fine, and me and my husband, we didn't want to know if it was a boy or a girl. We wanted to wait until the day of delivery, and so maybe then I want to say the next day I got a call from OBGYN, and I remember it because I was driving to my job, um, and. I'm thinking, oh, she's calling to tell me, hey, why don't you want to know if it's a boy or a girl? Now I won't know. You know, just kind of mess with me a little bit because she knew I was a doctor. And instead, the only thing I can remember her saying was, hey, uh, 50-50 shot that we can only see two chambers and of the heart. And mind you, I'm an adult medicine doctor. I don't know much about pediatrics um, and things like that. So to me, I didn't really know what that meant. And also because of how, um, you know, she just, she said it so easily. I thought, well, maybe it's not a big deal. Like maybe this yeah. is, you know, maybe this is something that they sometimes see since, you know, ultrasounds, it really depends on the user, that type of thing. And but yeah. when she said 50-50, that it could be an error versus this is a real thing, it kind of shook me. 
Right. And and just for our listeners, for the average person, they have four chambers to their heart. That's right. how your heart works the best. And so you get a call saying that they only see two chambers. So half of the heart in your baby, your first yeah. baby. Yep, my first baby. And I, oh, I hope I don't get emotional now. I don't I I I've shared this story so many times I don't usually get emotional anymore. But um so when she told me, I, w- I went through a lot, all the emotions, but the most interesting thing was that there was a part of me that felt like I shouldn't express how I felt. I think there was a part of me that was thinking, well, I'm a doctor. She's talking to me like a doctor, so I need to be professional and say, okay, well, these are the next steps. So I kind of went that route. All right. She told me that I need to see, you know, a more advanced specialist that would do another test to kind of confirm if that was what, if that was the case. I remember I pulled into the parking lot of my job and the tears just fell. I called my husband. Mm-hmm. I told him what happened. He started crying too. Because there was a part of us that, you know, our fear was that this is, this is real. Like our, our baby um, will only have two chambers. And to me, that meant death, right? Because as you said, four chambers is necessary uh, for life. Um, and so we met with that advanced specialist, the maternal fetal medicine doctor, um, and she confirmed that our baby only had two working chambers. There were four chambers, but only two worked appropriately. And that she, our, our daughter, um, would require um, multiple heart surgeries to not cure it, but to just ma- manage it. Um, and it was just, it was devastating. Like all the dreams that we had about how our life was going to go, it just, everything came crashing down. Yes. And, you know, I'll give you a second, like, I, I I can't even imagine. And as a physician, you know, as an obstetrician, let me let me specify as an obstetrician, um, I know the minute that you see a positive pregnancy test, you know, especially if it's a, a wanted pregnancy that people have been trying to yes. conceive, the minute the test is positive, you have all these hopes and dreams for your child. I mean, it's probably like 16 sales, you know, but yeah. what is the baby going to look like? And all oh, the names and you just, your mind starts to go and nowhere in it is there any room for imperfection. Right. There's none. And I think I shared my story with you. I knew my son, I'm at that same ultrasound. He had an irregular heart rate. Now, arrhythmia, which that's normal because the baby's heart is developing. And I knew, I knew he was going to grow out of it and that it was nothing lethal. It wasn't anything concerning. It wasn't structural. But I sat and eyeballed over something I know we see all the time and I know it's going to be fine. And so I just, I'm just giving you some grace on that. And thank you so much again for just opening up and sharing that because you know, you're, you're headed for a journey um, with a child that you love. So, yeah. All right. So you find (laughs) out it's confirmed, Mm -hmm. the tears Mm -hmm. come. Yeah. Where do you go from there? From there, it starts this journey of the preparation and then the mental preparation, honestly, um, to figure out what the next steps were, because the way they presented it to us was there were two options. We could either do surgeries to see if it would help. Um, it wouldn't necessarily cure anything, like I said, or we could do a palliative treatment where the you know, baby would be born. We wouldn't do those procedures. The difficult part for me and my husband as doctors was we had seen so many ops, um, so many times where people had been very sick and, you know, certain things were done to try to help them. 
but it didn't actually increase their quality of life. So my fear, my fear was that we would choose something because we wanted, you know, our daughter or our daughter or son, because we didn't know which one, that our baby would be there, but not really be thinking about, well, what is their life going to look like? Because mind you, we didn't know there's such a huge spectrum into how this condition can affect a, a child. Some children, they need, you know, they can't eat on their own. They can't walk on their own. They get too tired easily. They're in wheelchairs. It's, it's, it can be so um, devastating. And so for us, our faith was a huge part of it. There was so much prayer, prayer with me and my husband, prayer from people in our church who were praying over us, talking with my family. And we did decide we wanted to do the surgeries. And I mean, it was it was tough because that whole pregnancy, I was disconnected. I was, I was still um, working at the hospital I trained at. And I looked at some of those pictures now and I could just see it in my face, like the disconnect. I wasn't connected to her. Like people would say, oh, you know, people who didn't know what was going on. I said, oh, you're pregnant. I was like, yeah, we didn't have a name, right? Because we still didn't want to know if it was a boy or a girl. Um, and just emotionally, it was almost like I put a wall because I was afraid to care because I didn't know what was going to happen. My fear was that if I connected and then she passed away, how would I ever recover kind of thing? And so the prayer was helping me with that for sure. Did you know that's what you were doing in the moment? Like that that's why you were doing it? You know, it's hard for me to say because that felt like another life ago. I'll be mm -hmm. honest. I know that I, I, I do remember... I do remember there was a difference. There was a difference in my, in the way that I talked about being pregnant bef wait, before the 18 week scan and after, you know, before there was this excitement and when people would say something, I'd smile and say, oh yeah, I can't wait for this. And then after when people would make comments, it was more me just appeasing them. It wasn't me really believing there's going to be a future. So I, I do think there was a part of me that realized it, but I never, it took me a while to really dig into it because it was, it was just so, I keep saying devastating, but it was such an altering experience because you just, like you said, expectations. I had this expectation of what my life would look like, of what our lives looked like, me and my husband and our family. And then, you know, the unknown of we're going to have a baby and then the baby's going to have lots of heart surgeries and we don't know what life is going to look like. That scared me so much. I, I was afraid to hope because I just hope and having a kid and now this happened. So, you know, the disappointment. I think it's just interesting how, you know, like you're not consciously making a decision. That's just kind of what happens. That's what yeah. happens when things pop up in our life. Yeah. Our mental health is very important and we have to be intentional about it. Um, yeah. Because you kind of just go on autopilot and you start to have these coping mechanisms right. that aren't necessarily um, maybe healthy. But right. Your mind was protecting you. Oh, your mind was protecting you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's interesting you said about the coping mechanisms because I do think the timing of when I got pregnant um, really fed into how how I responded to what was going on. Because this is right after I finished my residency training. And a lot of my training, you know, you kind of have, you put the blinders on and you just kind of, all right, I got to do this for three years. Stay focused, and you you're willing to put up with so much because you see this this light at the end of the tunnel. And so I get to this light at the end of the tunnel yeah. with the training, and then real life happens, you know. And so I think it was like mentally, I was at this place where I can't believe this is happening after I went through all this stuff. Now this, you know, because so much 
and I'm just saying this about becoming a physician because it's my journey. Yeah. But anybody who seeks higher education, there's so much of delayed gratification and we're not making a lot of money. We're not going out, hanging out, having fun. We're not traveling the world. There's so much that we put on hold until that final moment that we finish. Um, And so, yeah, I can completely see how, you know, it's like, that's just unexpected. Super. <laughs> and the sounds like I went through all of this and now this too. You know? exactly. That's it. That's the phrase. Okay. I went through all of this and now this too. Yeah. It's like you get to the top of the mountain and someone says, actually, there's one more mountain. <laughs> no one told me. Why didn't you warn me? I would have prepared myself. That is so good, Dr. Shayla. <laughs> Sometimes I would feel like you. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, no. Mm-mm, it's not okay. it. So keep keep going, y'all. You're you're praying. It seems like you're getting better. Yeah, yeah. What, around the time she's born, like yeah. So I mean, well, so th- there's a blessing in this, and I mean, there's a blessing in all of it. But the 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 thing that I always love to share with people. So when she was born, she went straight to the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit, and then on day two of her of her life, she had her first open heart surgery. Three months later, she had her second. And then three years later, she had her third. Um, She's five now and she's doing wonderful. She is a ball of energy. Uh, She's amazing. And you would never, ever know that she's going through what she's gone through unless two two things will give you a clue. She has a star in her chest. Um, We call it her zip line, that's what she calls it, or her zipper sometimes is what she'll call it. And then the second thing is if you ever see her in the morning when, when she's giving, getting her medications, when I'm giving her, me and her or my husband are giving her her medicine. That's the only time you can tell hey, something's different here. Um, but the, the, the cool thing about it or the blessing I would like to say in it is that because we were in North Carolina, um, there's a, the hospital that we went to was one that is specific for um, taking care of kids with this very rare condition. And not only are they good at taking care of this condition, but there was a football player, uh, Greg Olson, whose son had the same rare condition. And so he had others donated enough funds so that any family that had a child with this condition, they would go home with home health nursing. They would go home with uh, run the care for free, all of this. And right. And so it's like, wow, God, no, we weren't expecting this. But and to, to give the people a clue into how amazing that is, when me and my husband, you know, we're both doctors, when we were signing up to figure out where we wanted to go. My first choice was not North Carolina. My first choice was actually South Carolina. And my mm-hmm. husband's first choice was a different place. So this was our second choice in terms of places to go. And we ended up here and in the same, the exact spot where we needed to be for her to get the care at the hospital, but also at home. That's God. <laughs> yes, and that's, oh my gosh. Oh my, okay. Yeah. Always end up right where you need to be. And oh gosh, um, who is it? Maria Menuno. She was just on the Today Show. She's apparently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Oh, and now pregnant. Um, but she said, you know, to stay positive, she says, I know this is happening for me, not to me. Yeah. And there's a whole big thing around match day. You know, yeah. Match Day is where fourth year medical students find out where they're doing their residency. And you've done, um, you've gone over all the country interviewing 
or these residency programs. And then you find out the one that you're matched to. And I won't get into how that happens, but it's a big thing. And if you get your top three, I think that's, that's great. But most people want their first choice. And I'm, y'all might not have been disappointed, but it wasn't your first choice. Mm-hmm. But it was the, it was God's first choice. That's right. What was coming. But tell us this, what is this rare condition? What is the name of it? It's left hypoplastic, hypoplastic left heart syndrome. I always say it backwards. Hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And how HLA rare test. is it? How rare is it? Oh, I don't want to misquote how rare it is. <laughs> I don't know the exact percentage because um, it's been a while since I looked at the stats. If my husband was here, he'd give you the stats because he's the <laughs> he's the fact. He knows all that. But, it's, but I can't it's, remember. It's very, very rare. It's extremely rare. rare. Extremely and, rare. Now, in my 20 years, I have not seen a patient with this particular syndrome. Yeah. It is very rare. I'll add a note maybe at the end to, um, okay. um, to put down the percentage. But just to say that is your second choice. Maybe you were disappointed, but exactly where you need it to be. And you know, part of, you know, this podcast is about happiness and being healthy. And some people I know if they didn't get their first choice would be depressed mm-hmm. and would be sad. And so, you know, this is, this is a lesson. And, you know, when you don't get what you want your way, yeah. there's probably a reason and it's, it's for your good. Um, so anyway, all right. Anyway, <laughs> thank you. Also, thank you to Greg Olson and the program. Yes. Yes, so for sure. She's had three surgeries so three far. surgeries. Five years old. Five years old. Running my life. <laughs> You're the physician. Like, tell me about your early life with a, you're practicing medicine and you have a newborn with special needs. Like, right. what did that do to your career? So, you know, it's interesting because it actually made me want to get out of medicine. Um, I actually ended up taking a break because even though, you know, there was definitely the blessings in terms of how things went along, it really changed the way that I thought about medicine and being a doctor. Because I was so used to, like, I was used to going to the hospital and seeing patients, like the hospital was my safe space. And now whenever I went to the hospital, it reminded me of the times with my daughter. Um, even though it was a different hospital that I worked in, it was still, you know, most hospitals, they, they're very similar. Like just to be in certain rooms, it all made me feel like I was a patient again. Or my daughter was a patient again. And honestly, I would say that experience, it showed me how much I didn't really understand what it felt like to be a patient. You know, before I saw, well, I'm a nice person. I come in, I shake people's hands. You know, I can make them laugh. I know how to smile, how to listen. Like I'm empathetic. Yeah. And, but when I, when my daughter was the patient and I, you know, as her mom had to speak for her and my husband had to speak for her to feel the anxiety of waiting for the doctor to come into the room and you don't know when after rounds, mm-hmm. you know, when the mm-hmm. heart monitor goes off and to the nursing staff and to the doctors, it's like, oh yeah, that's okay. But you think, is this, what does this mean? Is what's, what's going on? We need to check this right now. Like that, that, that fear that goes with it, it completely changed my perspective. And so like I was wrestling with how to how to deal with both those competing thoughts where one place I didn't like being in in my workspace anymore because it reminded me so much of what my daughter Mm -hmm. had went through. And Mm -hmm. on the other hand, recognizing, man, like to be a patient, it's hard. Like this, this is only one snapshot of a person's life. They have so many other facets to them. 
and they're afraid and they're nervous. And yeah. their whole day is depending on when I walk in the room and tell them what the plan is or tell them what the results are. Um, right. I wrestle with that. And that's, and you are a physician. Your husband's a physician. And you're still like, what's this monitor going on? Because like you said, I am not pediatric cardiothoracic surgeon. Like, I'm not a pediatric cardiologist. Yeah. You don't know. It's, yeah. it's funny. I'm going to just take this time to say, you know, when people say you're a doctor, they think you're a doctor. You know everything about everything. That's so it. For the medical professionals listening to my podcast now, I'm giving you permission to act like you know absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. When I take care of medical professionals, I don't care if it's a physician, a pediatrician. I don't care. I'm just like, look, I'm a, I'm going to treat you like you know nothing so that you can feel comfortable to ask the questions that you need to ask without feeling judged. And I think a lot of times when we as physicians enter rooms, you know, we speak that foreign language um, and we don't really appreciate how scary it is for people to be there. Right. Because this is what we do every day. I mean, you're talking about rounds and, and rounds are when we come and see everybody in the hospital. Like we were just eating lunch, laughing, Probably watch yourself no TV like yep. we walked in. So it's like it's work to us. Um, although absolutely you switch on the empathy, not switch on the empathy, but you know, you're empathetic to the situation. But it's it's kind of root not routine, but you understand what I'm saying. It's something that we we do a lot of. So more did you ever feel comfortable like speaking up to your providers um and saying, Hey, look, keep it plain, Doc. Like how did you interact with the medical staff yeah so it's funny I'll tell you a funny story it it was easy but at the beginning it was tough for me because like you said um people would find out that we were doctors and like the way that they talked to us would change they would start giving us way too much information and so I started saying to people you know there was always a trend because every time we go into the hospital there's a new set of doctors new set of nurses for the most part and so once they, probably by day two, they would figure out we're doctors. Usually it was because of my husband, because he would say some phrase that only a doctor would know. And I'm looking at him like, why would you say that? Now they know. <laughs> you know, and he's like, the telemetry monitor, what's going on there? I, is she, did we check her potassium? We're like, great. And then like, oh, what do you do? <laughs> so but what I would always say once they found out, I would say, yep, I'm a doctor, but I don't know anything about peds. So you can act like I'm not a doctor, please. Like, don't, it doesn't matter that I'm a doctor. I want you to talk to me because right now I'm not Dr. Shayla. I am mommy Shayla, right? I'm not even using that part of my brain right now. So you can dumb it down for me. My husband, on the other hand, he was different. <laughs> he liked to, he liked having those conversations sometimes, but sometimes he wasn't able to have those conversations. He didn't have that capacity. It's still something we struggle with because most people, their default is to go into that like, um, you know, and I think they mean well because they want to show, you know, as physicians, I think the the academic part of it all, like, all right, this is the physiology, this is what we're thinking, this is the anatomy of our heart now. And to me, it's just like, whoa, this is going over my head. Like, I'm not sure. I don't remember this part because I'm not, I'm not a heart surgeon, you know, I don't look it in the heart off the top. But I mean, I know it comes from a good place, but we just try to, we try our best. <laughs> And, you know, it's an interesting time now because patients have more access to medical literature um, and, you know, in the obstetric space, you know, the black um, female, black women 
dying, you know, three to four times more likely than other women, other races. Um, people feel armed. To, they want to come in prepared and to speak the language. Um, and I just don't think that that's the burden of the patient. I really don't. I really don't. So it's interesting to hear you say as a physician where they think you have the knowledge and you're saying that they know. Mm -hmm. And a patient who comes in with the knowledge, sometimes they get met with resistance. Like, yes. who do you think you are? Like, you, you're not so-and-so, so-and-so. Right. So, woo, yeah, y'all, this is turning into an episode. Oh, <laughs> uh, Dr. Shayla, this is definitely going to be a two-part. I'm just going to say. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm going to keep recording, but... The first part is probably going to be something like a doctor's story on her journey. But, you know, I don't know, child with a birth defect. I, I don't yeah, know. We'll figure You'll it out. You'll with the title. But okay. she, she is here because she's going to tell us about a plant-based diet and really kind of incorporate it and make it just easier instead of it feeling like you got to climb that mountain and then the next mountain and mm -hmm. then the next mountain. Um, yeah, but you know, your daughter, I think, doesn't she have something to do with your plant based journey? Absolutely, absolutely, she does. You got it, you remember, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so once, so it, it's all a series of, of steps, and I think you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later for other people to know. Because my, just is all over the course of, you know, she's five now. So this happened over five years, my transformation mentally and physically and health-wise. And the same for her. You know, once um, I went back into medicine, uh, back into working in, in the healthcare space, one of the things that um, I really needed was a way to, I don't know, like a, a new coping mechanism. Because like I mentioned, or I kind of alluded to earlier, when I was in residency training, you know, I had some great coping mechanisms, but a lot of them weren't really sustainable. And one of the big ones I used a lot was food. Um, it, stress eating was a big thing for me and especially emotional stress eating. Um, and so anytime I had to stay up late or if I was worried about, you know, certain patients, I would go to the nearest, you know, coffee shop downstairs in the hospital, give me a nice, you know, souped up latte, just a couple of muffins, you know, to stay up, but also because of that sugar high, I have big sweet tooth. And so um, when... I went back into the workspace and my husband was already still working. Um, his mom, my mother-in-law, she came up. She would come every week, every other week uh, to stay with us and to watch our daughter for a week. Um, and so what she would do, she's from Ghana. So what she would do is she would cook. She would just cook a ton of food. And you know, sometimes, sometimes I'd come home and I'd be in the kitchen with her like, wait, what's that? Ginger? Oh, I, how you cook with that? Oh, show me. Oh, because, you know, I, I mean... I knew ginger powder, but I'd never seen fresh ginger before and like how to actually cook with it and how she'd cut the onions and the garlic and she'd use the, you know, tomatoes, fresh tomatoes and canned tomatoes and, you know, how she would cook her meat, how she would season her vegetables. And I love, love to eat. And so because I love to eat so much, I love being in the kitchen because she'd let me taste test what she was doing. And over the course of time, I started trying to experiment on my own and I started really falling in love with trying to cook. I wasn't great. I was not great at all. I mean, I was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> I, I used to, I joke with my husband a lot. I tell the story of my, one of my first meals was a curry dish. Um, I made it with an Instapot and I thought it was the best thing ever. And I was saying it to my dad on the phone, like, yeah, dad, we Ralph ate everything up. And I get off the phone and he's like, yeah, no, the potatoes weren't cooked all the way through. Like, wait, 
why would you eat all of that if it wasn't cooked all the way through? Like, but you made me think that you liked it. So I, I share that story to tell people there's hope, right? Like I didn't start off being this amazing cook, yeah, or, you know what I mean? It was, it was pretty rough there, but we're, I, I say all this we're going to direct people to your, your Instagram page where you, <laughs> you show us how to do it all. And you do not look like you had undone potatoes. For your, for your life. You look like you know what you're doing, but now, <laughs> now I do. But you know what? That, that brings me to like everyone's journey. We, we usually we're seeing, we're seeing the end result of all this work someone's put in and, and there becomes that comparison. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to be like that. But we don't know the backstory to how they got there. And so I try to remind people of that, like, it's great to want to, you know, have that same type of um, flow as me or anyone else. But remember, there's a backstory that they have that, we're, that we didn't get to see. Right. Yeah. And so we're just seeing the results of that work. Yes. And which is that's part of what I, a problem I have with social media yep. is that you get these snippets. Yeah. And it's just like it is not real. Like, it's just. And, and, and I'm not saying that people intentionally put something out that's not real. Right. But we need more people celebrating the journey. Right. I mean, there are people, I'm on this plan. I started in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went hard for eight months and I, I had some body. I had some stuff that I was like, this might not agree with my body. I'll, I'll mm. tell that story one day if I get the courage. <laughs> Okay, I want to hear it. Vulnerable, but not that vulnerable. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, and I'm still trying. This is 2023, and I'm still right. struggling. But there are some things I absolutely just don't do anymore. Or, or my taste buds, you know, right. have, have changed. But thank you for saying that. That yeah. is a journey. And you don't, there's no getting it right, you know? Right, exactly. There's no getting it right. You're just, you're, you're living. And you're trying out things and, you know, sometimes you're doing what you think you want to do and sometimes you're not. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, love I love that. Yep. Yep. So tell us, you, you got better with the cooking. Did, were you eating that way? Or what did you see like the benefit? You know, your daughter has a heart issue. She's on right. medication. It's like, right. what did you make the connection that, you know, maybe eating healthy is going to be helpful for my daughter. Yeah, so it's so funny. It's it was almost like a motherhood like switch went off, if, if I could say that. Because I want to say she was like four or five months old, and mind you, you know, I had a lot of time because I was part time, and I'm working with my my mother in law in the kitchen, and I'm you know I'm looking at my daughter, and she's she she just had the personality for it. She would eat raw spinach leaves. Like like they were chips, not at six months once she got a little bit older, but like they were chips, Doctor V, it, and and not because I gave them to her, but because she somehow got into the bag and started eating them. And I'm watching her, and I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, I love to cook, you know, I should probably cook a certain way now, not okay. wait until she's you know seven, eight, nine, ten, and yeah. try to start saying these things. Do it now. So she, I mean, part of it, honestly, was the cultural part of it. I wanted her to know what her like the type of food that her dad's family ate. Cause I'm, yeah. you know, him being from Ghana and stuff. And yes. I knew, well, if I started sooner, she'll, you know, her palate will develop towards this. And then I started thinking, well, wait, I, and on top of that, I should be incorporating more vegetables, more fruits. Well, if I'm gonna do it for her, I, I have to do it for myself. And a lot of this was stuff that honestly I had learned um, in residency, like things that I would say to patients, 
I started actually turning around and saying it to myself. If we're going to be real, I was like, oh, you know what? I should eat more fruits and vegetables. I should cook like this. Look, it's not just some blanket statement that I say to, to people. I should, I should do this because it matters. And it, and it didn't start mattering to me until I had my daughter. It was almost like, you know, the thing when you're young, you just think there's nothing that can hurt you. Like, oh, yeah, I'll eat a salad every now and then. But I'm 20-something. When I became a mom, it was like, it's not just about me now. I have to, give, I have to help set her up for success and not just financial and, you know, uh, that those type of that type of success, yeah. but also from the yeah. health standpoint, even more so because of her heart, and um, and that just led to me just being super focused on how can I do this, and it was tough, like I said, because I wasn't the greatest cook, but I, I'm a big visual person, so YouTube University was my friend, <laughs> um, and uh, and as the years went along, when the pandemic hit, um, th- there just was so much information on social media of people sharing recipes. Tabitha Brown, I was like one of my favorite people. Like just look, people who look like me, cooking yeah. food that I'm used to seeing, but doing it in a different way. And I was like, oh, that'll be still be flavorful. And I just started yeah. doing it. And yeah. keeping her in the kitchen with me motivated me because she would say, oh, mommy, you know, as she got older, you're cooking this. I'm like, yeah, mommy's cooking this. Okay, I guess I got to eat it now. <laughs> you know, and she'd eat it because I'm eating it. it she became eating. my inspiration. So was she ever like, would she go to like, because I think you said she eats broccoli like that and vegan But Would you go to like McDonald's and get her like a Happy Meal and she's like, oh my God, what's this? Like, does she this, like this? Okay, so this is going to sound so, 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 so bad. Now she does because of me and my husband. So what happened was anytime we would try, no, I'm not being, being baby. But we corrupted her. Well, let me tell you why traveling. I, Traveling was so hard. And so for a while, you know, I started doing things like where I prep certain snacks to have on the road. Well, you know, once the snacks run out and you got a kid in the bag, it's, and that's the part of it, trying to keep it simple. We'd go into McDonald's and I remember I'd get chicken nuggets or French fries and she's looking at it like, I don't want this. Like she wouldn't eat it. And, it, and you know, I would freak out like, oh, she's going to starve because she's not eating. Like, we're eating our burger, you know, we're eating our french fries and she's not eating. What are we going to do? Um, and so so now now she's in a place where if I if I get some, she'll eat it. But it's still not her preference. And that if you can even believe that, like we, just the other day we were traveling and then we went to a restaurant. She had a couple uh, pieces of french fries. She's like, OK, mom, I'm done. And she started eating cashews. Yeah. <laughs> She's special. <laughs> I can totally believe that. And I yeah. said, well, it's not, we need to kind of like go back to being a child because yeah. what she was first introduced is what she loved and yeah. those whole foods. Yep. Why, before you get corrupted with the processed food, you yep. can fully appreciate the flavor uh, in whole foods. And yeah, I can totally believe that she looked at chicken nuggets because yep. it's real meat for real for real. Exactly. exactly. And McDonald's, y'all don't come for me. Y'all do not come for me. It's not like it's a chicken breast battered and fried. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not how it's mm-hmm. made. And so, uh, or let me just say, it's nothing that we could reproduce ourselves and make at home. Right. That's what I mean when I say it's not real food. Right. Uh, but yeah, if we can, we can get back to that too. And, and I guess this will be a good place to, to end part one. Okay. Because 
I think people are like, oh, this is so hard. It's so impossible. I'll never be able to do this. But we really can reprogram our, our taste buds. We can yes. reprogram our habits so that this plant-based lifestyle is really um, something that's achievable for sure. For sure. So, man, we took a turn. We took a turn. So I usually like for um, my guests to just kind of give, you know, words of inspiration or like your final thoughts at the end of the day. So what would you share with us, Dr. Shayla? I would share something I mentioned earlier in falling in love with the process. And that could be whether it's for your health, whether it's for you know, your physical health, whether it's for your mental health, whether it's for any type of change you want to make, don't focus so much on the result because you don't really know what the end result is going to be. But falling in love with the the day-to-day, with the steps that you take, with your own process, and all of a sudden you'll look up and you'll see you may be further than you thought you would be. You know, what I share for myself, even with cooking, you know, I was falling in love with the process of doing it. And now I look up and I see where I'm at and like, oh, wow, I, you know, I'm not looking, I'm not using the YouTube videos anymore. I'm making my own YouTube videos. You know what I mean? And I think that is, <laughs> that's true for everything. Fall in love with it. Did y'all hear that? She said, don't fall in love with the result because you don't know what the result's going to be. Yep. You can't control that part. You can't you control, can control the day to day. Right. I mean, that's with, that's with the residency program, that yep. tool. Yep. That's with the birth of your child with a heart defect. Yep. Yep. Wow. Wonderful. Don't fall in love with the results. So uh, how can our listeners connect with you, Dr. Shayla? Yeah, I'm on all social media platforms, uh, Cooking on Purpose Health, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, everything. Um, and then we have a website, cookingonpurposehealth.com. And I'm on LinkedIn too. <laughs> Looking on purpose. I absolutely yes, Guys, this is part one. This is the unplanned, spontaneous part <laughs> one. Uh, I couldn't stop it. It was just such a good conversation. It was fun. It was fun. So part two, uh, if you guys stay tuned, part two will be about, you know, the benefits of a plant-based diet and find ways to make it practical, find ways to incorporate it into your life. So Um, It doesn't feel like it's such a heavy lift. So, Dr. Shayla, thank you for coming on. And we will see you in part two. Of course. Thanks, Dr. B. See you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, guys. Just as I said, this was the end of part one. You do not want to miss part two. If you're thinking about a plant-based diet, or even if you think a plant-based diet is a load of crap, I want you to listen to part two because this is her sweet spot. This is her jam. And I think you will get some really useful information um, that you can apply immediately after you listen to that episode. So stay tuned for part two next week.